Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Good morning. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Working definition of fasting giving up food for spiritual purposes, just to get on the same page. There's a lot of different ways people have talked about fasting, not eating food in order to feed the Holy Spirit, whole body hungering for God, a person's whole body natural response to life's sacredness, Uh, the bodily practice where you open up your whole life to the person of Jesus. Fasting, Dallas Willard said, is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. No matter what you use, fasting is, one, for spiritual purposes. Two, sacrificing food for a predetermined period of time. It is not abstinence. So there's a long, long, long history of abstinence in the church, right? Not going, not having chocolate. Uh, We talk about a media fast and a digital fast. Um, I understand that language. It's helpful, but truly fasting as it has existed in the scriptures, is food and food alone. So no matter what we use for that is um, something that uh, Jesus assumes, as Pastor Greg mentioned last week, that we would do. He says, when you fast, and then give some instructions about fasting. It is an assumption. Fasting is something that you're doing. When you pray, when you give to the poor, These are like, this is part of, amongst many things, what it is to walk in the way of God. And and it's important before we jump into today's kind of angle on fasting to talk about the why. Why, the why behind fasting. And there's a bunch of reasons again. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to Greg's message. But I want to reemphasize one before we jump in. And I like this language here from Dallas Willard, to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Flesh is language used by the New Testament writers to name not just like your whole body as a whole, but sort of the primal animal part of who you are that's run by survival instincts and the desire for pleasure. It's what scientists call our animal brain. Sometimes I randomly ask you to repeat things just to like keep everybody dialed in. And I was about to go, repeat animal brain. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that one. You know what, why not? Animal brain. (laughs) Your flesh, the biblical imagery from Genesis 3 on is like a beast within you, 
right? It, like it grows stronger. And if you starve it, it loses its hold over you. That's something the scriptures talk about often. And one of the best ways to starve the flesh is to literally not give your body food. Saints and masters in the way of Jesus have long noted that both the garden temptation of Adam and Eve and the desert temptation of Jesus in Luke 4 have to do with food. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. I am not a strong, strong prophetic person, but what's the date today? January 14th? On January 14th, 2036, assuming you are still living, I know in part what you're going to do that day. You're going to eat. You're going to eat, likely. Right, strong chance. I'm going to hit that like prophetic marker. Right, the bell's going to ring. You're going to eat that day. This is normal and good and necessary. And so when we do this, when we starve the flesh, we are interrupting. We're interrupting things. Food is so critical. It is not arbitrary or random. The argument is that there is this reciprocal relationship between our self-discipline with food and our level of self-discipline with sin. Thomas Kempis said this, restrain from gluttony and thou shalt the more easily restrain from all the inclinations of the flesh. In the context here, he's talking about fasting. The less limits we have on our appetite, the less limits we tend to have on other bodily appetites. Things like shopping or sex or gossip or even violence. And one of the first things you notice when you start fasting is that your desire for sin does not go away, but it does go down. Especially if you begin to regularly do this. Your desire for sin goes down and your desire for God goes way up. You start to crave prayer before you're craving all sorts of other things. It's a way to turn your body from an enemy to an ally. Moves you towards holiness, which in part tunes us into God. And when people talk about fasting for something, kind of amplifying your prayers, it's not like a magic trick. God's like, you fasted long enough, good. No, no, think about it more holistically. The book of James says, the prayers of a righteous person are what? Anyone know this passage? Powerful and effective. Well, of course they are. Somebody who's righteous, somebody who's dialed in. We talk, I talk about this with my kids all the time. When my kids are dialed into my will, my good and perfect will, right? When my kids are dialed into my will, they ask for the sorts of things I want to give them in the timing that I want to do it. They're just more attuned. And my yes, their alignment makes more sense as they begin to ask for things that actually align with sort of the way that we want to roll as a family. It's not different with God. And so how do you become a more righteous person? Will you become more holy? And one of the things that fasting does is move you towards holiness. See, the things are connected. It's not just, oh man, I fasted for a long time. Now God really knows I'm serious. It's like, no, fasting, like all the practices, is for you. Fasting helps you open yourself up to God. If God alone and grace alone make that river flow, fasting is one of those practices that helps you get into the water. This is in part the power of fasting. And fasting throughout the centuries have had all these different dimensions to it. 
Today, I want to talk about how fasting in the scriptures, of all the different places it talks about the impact. I want to talk about how fa- what fasting has to do with standing in solidarity with the poor. And we wanted to do this in part because this fasting series, I mean, in divine providence of God, landed on our Calling All Peacemakers Sunday that we do every year on Martin Luther King weekend. What does peacemaking and standing in solidarity with the poor have to do with fasting? It's important to note that King's great legacy, well, I shouldn't say his great, there's a lot of key things. But the Poor People's Campaign was one of the things that he began to launch towards the end of his life. In part, because he recognized that the best way to get at the oppression in our culture was not aiming at race, but aiming at socioeconomic realities. Race often follows that. This is the great argument of folks that have been in the fight, not just in the virtue signaling, but in the fight against injustice and wanting to combat systemic racism. I've had the pleasure, and I I mean it pleasure as much as it's also been a struggle, to be engaged with the poor in this city for the last 15 years now. I was trying to narrow it down to stories, and so I just like, just wrote like a list of things. I was like, all right, I don't know like how much to get into. I just was remembering this moment where we were able to free up um, uh, an immigrant who was detained, where there was confusion about their status here. We, uh, his youngest son was in the after-school program that our church was doing at the time. And so along with the help of a whole bunch of people, from lawyers to principals, we were able we were able to get him out of jail and to be there when he came home to his parents and to his kids in South Providence. All that while that he was in prison, we were wondering why on earth did this happen because we had set up such a great situation. Turns out he baptized like 25 men in prison, you know, like you do. We're like, oh, maybe there was. God decided to use this broken situation. But over the course of the weeks and months that he was in prison, it was a handful of us making sure that they could eat. Just again and again, going over, preparing meals, dropping off food. I remember um, I've had the distinct opportunity to be in relationship with a number of the refugees have come into this city. A number of times greeting refugees as they are entering into this country, coming down that escalator, if you've been at TF Green Airport, coming down And they are like with bags that have UN often just like printed on it, everything that they own on their back coming down this escalator, often from places that are much warmer than here, often in the middle of winter, about ready to meet complete strangers, hoping the language barrier works out. Been there as we are this week, uh, just after the service today, uh, a number of folks from churches uh, in ours and around the city uh, who are coming together to care for um, a number of families and get gifts to them over at our office space this afternoon. These refugee families often uh, don't have the sort of means that they need after the initial funding from the government runs out. I remember um, one time uh, having to shoo away uh, my youngest daughter from a conversation I was having with a good buddy of mine in our living room. And I had to shoo her away, not because the conversation was getting hot, but because there was a handgun on my dining room table that I was trying to pull back from a 
good friend of mine who had kind of made some really poor choices and found himself in a place of both physical and spiritual poverty. I could go on. Our church has given tens of thousands of dollars over the last 10 years to help pay for rent checks, school checks, grocery cards. Around 2 billion people in the world live in poverty. Around 10% of the global population of 700 million people live in extreme poverty on less than $2 a day. Here in the U.S., the extreme poverty rate is even higher at 11.6, or nearly 40 million people, and most of them are kids. Nearly 22,000 children die daily due to poverty. Poverty is directly tied also to issues of racial injustice. In America, the highest poverty rate is among Native Americans, followed by the black community, undoubtedly tied to much of the tragic history. Yet the average family of four in the U.S. spends $1,500 a year on food. They throw out 40% of food in America. Estimates range uh, from 80 to 160 billion pounds of food waste happens per year in the old U.S. of A. So uh, millions of men and women and children are hungry, and millions more have so much food they don't even know what to do with it. For those that are getting a little like squirmy, like this isn't like a political thing. This is a Jesus thing, right? Poverty, bad. Just to be clear, some people just immediately in our day and age have a hard time. They just start to tense up. Solving poverty is what? Easy or complex? Yeah, do people on the right have some really good ideas about how we're gonna deal with poverty? Do people on the left have some good ideas? Some of you are like, no, on either side. Right, this is a complex conversation. Like, no, I don't think that. This is complex. I've met very few people. Actually, I don't know if I've actually met anyone who was like, yeah, I'm kind of a big fan of poverty. Huge fan. Let it, let it ride. As followers of Jesus, I mean, it's just, we enter into the fray with all its complexities. And one of the issues that happens that we're going to talk about in this teaching today is we get so caught up, and I've used this about a thousand times, thanks be to Sarah Cowan Johnson for this picture, but it's like we are so concerned, our level, our sphere of concern is so big, we know about every, or if we want to know about every big international tragedy happening in the world, we can know about it. And then we can quickly know everyone's hot take by just going on Twitter. Yes, I still call it Twitter. Right, we can do this so easily and we get overwhelmed. It has been written extensively about how this is contributing to the age of anxiety that we live in. We talk about this often here. Congratulations, we are the most anxious generation in the history of the world. No, things aren't getting better. And one of the things that we need to do as followers of Jesus is to drill down and go, where are the things that are actually in my sphere of influence? We can know about some of those things. I think it's good to be aware, but we put such a premium on knowing stuff that we spend all of our time knowing stuff, getting anxious about stuff that we actually have no influence, no control, no sway over at all in our world. Anyone else feel that? I know we talk about that a lot. So is there a practice from the way of Jesus to stand in the face of this disparity? And funny enough, and I was just exposed to this this past couple years, really, is that fasting is a part of this, is one of these practices. Most fasting is talked about in regards to its personal and powerful, like eternal personal transformation. 
And there's a lot more we want to say about that in the coming weeks. But on this MLK weekend, we want to shift from the internal to the external, to the power of fasting for community transformation throughout church history. It is one of the main practices that followers of Jesus have adopted to move their heart and their resources towards the hungry, towards the poor, and towards those on the margins. So as you turn back with me again to the passage that Zeke read in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is one of the most essential passages in all of Scripture on fasting. I want to take just a few minutes to work through it. Why have we fasted, verse 3, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Meaning the people are asking Isaiah, we're fasting, but it doesn't seem to be working. Why is God not hearing our prayer? Anyone ever been there? And listen to God's reply through the prophet, verse three. Yet on the day of your fasting, so you're fasting, you're doing the spiritual stuff, you're, you're, you're showing us that, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Meaning, fasting is not only to offer ourselves to God and to grow in holiness. There's more to it. Verse six, is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor, the wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? It's important here, commentators point out, the use of flesh and blood here is a twist, not on just talking about the Hebrew people, but all people. Notice the motivation for this type of fasting, to fight injustice, free people from oppression, to share your food with the hungry, to provide shelter for those that have no home, to clothe the naked and meet the practical needs of the people around you. If you practice this kind of fasting, then listen to what will happen. Verse eight, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness or your justice will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. This is a whole other dimension to fasting that has less to do with us and more to do with Others, in particular the poor. I want to read you some of the saints and how they've talked about this passage. St. Augustine, break your bread for those who are hungry, said Isaiah. Do not believe that fasting suffices. Fasting chastises you, but it does not refresh the other. Your privatization shall bear fruit if you give generously to another. Do you wish your prayer to reach God? Give it two wings. Fasting and almsgiving. I love that image, right? You want that thing to fly. 
Give them both wings. Almsgiving, I, like, just, I love that word picture. Like prayer is like a bird. If you wanna fly to heaven, give it two wings. Fasting and almsgiving, which is a word that was used by Jesus and the first Christians that can also translate works of mercy. It's a combination of what we would call kind of today, generosity, service, justice. You see uh, actually throughout the Bible that caring for the poor is just as tied to fasting as prayer is. So in the same way, that it's hard to imagine fasting without praying, which is what Greg talked about last week. All right, these things go together. If you just fast to fast, welcome to most of our culture. Anyone like really into intermittent fasting? P.S., how many people are doing like the ice bath thing in the morning right now? Raise your hand, please. Yeah, is it? I want, just come to me after. Is it really worth doing? That's what I want to know. I want to be disciple. Is it? I'm in. No, John's saying no. All the tech bros in the room. Um, <laughs> right, it's not, um, why did I talk about that? I don't even know why I said that. Intermittent fasting <laughs> has nothing to do with jumping in an ice bath, but sort of similar. Right, these kinds of fasts that people are doing, they're for our own health. And we know Greg shared all the different things at heart this last week that fasting produces. But fasting without prayer isn't just, it's just not a Christian thing. Fasting is meant, again, to help us hear the signal through the noise, to dial in. And apparently also, fasting and service to the poor is a critical piece. Um, the sh- uh, the uh, shepherd of Hamas is the word, I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. The early Christian writing dating to the early second century. And he has this instruction for the widespread fasting that happened. Some people try to make these arguments like fasting, it really isn't a thing that we need to worry about anymore. This happened right out of the gate in the early church and we see in the New Testament. Uh, They would fast regular on Wednesdays and Fridays. Here's quote, estimate the cost of food you would have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his soul and pray to the Lord for you. Notice there's no savior complex here. The well-off are just as in need of prayer as the poor. St. Gregory of Nyssa, who's a church father in the fourth century, said this of fasting, give to the hungry what you deny your own appetite. Like connect them. Give to the hungry what you deny your own appetite. Uh, Sarius of Aries of of France in the sixth century said this, let us fast in such a way that we lavish our lunches upon the poor so that we may not store up in our purses what we intended to eat, but rather in the stomachs of the poor. All of these great followers of Jesus, they're saying that we can't separate our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. Which is something that we kind of just say quickly and flippantly, but it's all over the Bible. I'm reminded of 1 John 4. Dear children, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And if you keep going through that passage, it just starts to get really wonky. Like my love toward my neighbor, toward my love for God, and my love for God toward my neighbor. And all of a sudden you're like in this sort of mess and spider web of interconnected something. For those of us that are tempted in a season like first seek to get swept up into our own private spirituality, this aspect of fasting is a helpful corrective reminding us, reminding us that there is a connection between our love for God and love for neighbor. Have you ever thought of fasting as a way to love God and love our neighbor at the same time? To become in tune with God's heart for the poor and the hurting and in tune for God's heart for yourself. 
So first, I want to just mention three things real quickly here around the subject of fasting as it relates to service and mission. First, fasting to stand in solidarity with the hungry, with the hungry. Regularly going without food by choice could put us emotionally in touch with the millions of people around the world and in our city who regularly go without food, not by choice. Really simple. Y'all get that? The denial of your stomach could do something in your heart, which is part of the surprise of fasting. I want to pause here for a minute. Fasting is a whole body practice, which is really hard for us Westerners to get our heads around because it has nothing to do with our heads. All the feelers, everybody who is into sad, sad bastard emo music, would you lean in for a minute? Anyone who's ever into like really heavy music, anyone who's into like helplessly like schmaltzy love songs, And that whenever you had a breakup or whenever you were like raging against whoever was president at that time or just a general beautiful thing that is teen angst and you still actually got a lot of that in you, right? Anyone like rage against the machine fans and dating myself a little bit, right? You know this because you would go through something in real life and you would respond to it by like, Bulls on parade, right? You'd respond to it by like you're feeling overwhelmed and swept up in love and you're like, I don't know, like Celine Dion, is that? Like, I, <laughs> I didn't go that route. Or you're just feeling generally sort of sad and other people are wondering, why are you indulging it? And you're like, I'm not indulging it. I'm just like bringing my body into it. And so anyone who's ever listened to emo music, I'm not talking hot topic emo, I'm talking good emo, right? And you like just were like, I, I just wanna feel this. I wrote a letter one time to this girl and I took the piece of paper and I put it in the oven to give it that like, like, you know, like, like cool, like uh, orange kind of vibe. And then I burned the edges a little bit. Yeah. She didn't go out with me. No. (laughs) Fasting is a whole body thing. And we'll get to this actually at the end. In the scriptures, what triggers fasting are responses to something God's done. But here's why I just wanted to stop here around solidarity. It's because when we think about spiritual growth, we think about reading a book, we think about listening to a podcast, we think about attending an event or a conference or coming to church and hearing something. We're not used to fasting. We're not used to, let me just not eat that. Let me just not eat for a while and feel that in my body. It's so weird this day and age. And it has been normal up until roughly about 100 to 150 years ago within Christianity. It's been normal. This is how you respond. You get your body in the game, not just your mind. Fasting has been a core practice. So back to fasting is then solidarity with the poor. What happens is you begin to feel compassion. You begin to feel God's heart. It's a way of dialing us in. You begin to see the poor not as a stranger or even as an object of your pity, but as a brother or sister. A practice that I've heard some families doing that I just brought up this week in preparing for this message to my kids. I brought it up and Harper and I are like down for it. I was talking to Corey about it like this morning. Like, I think we should do this. We're gonna adopt this as a family. And I heard this from somebody uh, talking about uh, doing a rice and beans night once a week. Eating what most people around the world eat every day as an act of intentional spiritual formation. Families... Reading, I was reading about this, who do this care deeply about raising their kids whose hearts have not been warped by the materialism of Western culture. They have a healthier engagement with it. 
Because we're going, hey, once a week, we're just going to like, we're going to do rice and beans. And we're going to take that money that we would have spent. We'll calculate that for the kids. And it'll be like sort of our like, our, uh, our, our like uh, bank. And we'll use that once a month. We'll take that money that we would have spent that day and have the kids like decide and we'll pray that day. When we're praying, oftentimes we do a little go around, how was your day? Maybe on Wednesday, we just talk about praying for those that are hurting. We think about those around us. Whatever it is, we're like, we're really excited to do this. And all, I mean, all the kids were like, dad, I don't really love rice and beans. Like, yeah, yeah, but you know why we're doing this? Yeah, 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 I think it's good. Like right away, we'll see how this goes. I'll get back to you. Fasting or even a restricted diet like that can enable us to stand in solidarity with the hungry. But also, so number two is to share what we have. So if you're taking notes, just also sharing what we have. What we give up in money spent on food can be turned into generosity for the poor. And what we give up in time spent on food, shopping, cooking, eating, cleaning can be used then in service to those around us. This is about helping us get God's heart for compassion, but also in helping to serve. Dorothy Day said this, the uh, Catholic aid worker in New York. How shall we have the means to help our brother who is in need? We can do without those unnecessary things which become habits. Cigarettes, liquor, coffee, tea, candy, soda, soft drinks, and those foods at meals which often titillate the palate. We all have these habits, the youngest and the oldest, and we have to die to ourselves in order to live. We have to put off the old man and put on Christ. That it is so hard that it arouses so much opposition serves to show what an accumulation there is in all of us of unnecessary desires. It's a long-standing tradition in the church of fasting on Fridays. That being a day of service, like in a food pantry or a soup kitchen or to a local nonprofit. It's one way not just to talk about justice, but to actually do it. Right? I love, like, it's just an easy target because it's just everywhere and it's in all of us. Is to go after what is commonly known as slacktivism. Right? It's like... In our digital age, what most people call justice and doing justice and caring for the poor is ranting on social media. But in biblical theology, a biblical theology of justice, talk is cheap. The call is to love. Think of 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions... Um, and sees, <laughs> S-E-E-S, a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Again, what can one person or even one church do in the face of all of the evil and injustice in the world? Well, we can do this, we can fast. We can fast and align our hearts with God, which is gonna free up ideas and insights and ways to seek after the Lord and will free up resources to share with those need. Fasting this year caused me to do something that I have not done in 10 years, which was clean out my closet and my top junk drawer. I wish my wife was in the room. She would just shout amen when she's down in Kids City today. It was directly related to fasting. I was like a moment of like recognizing the need for simplicity in my life. Simple things that begin to move our heart. Again, this could literally be as simple as giving the $10 or $20 that you would have spent on breakfast and lunch and giving it away. Giving it to your home church's mission if you're in a home church. Buying someone groceries in your community. Just Venmoing someone to help with their medical bills. That simple. Right? One of the problems that we have as followers of Jesus is not that we don't care for the poor. It's that we don't know the poor. 
So fasting, I think, even helps move us and connect us in with the community. Finally, number three, fasting can enable us to stand against evil and injustice at a social level. Dr. King was known for fasting in jail, most famously when he was in, in Selma. One of the most famous stories of him ministering to other inmates as he was refusing the food that was coming through the window. Even when it was other black guards who were trying to like sneak him larger pieces of ham. There's this one story where they're covered in greens. And once it came in, one of the other inmates knew King was fasting. So they were like, you sure I can take it? Opens it up, sees this whole feast. Feast. This larger plate of food. And King was like, no, no. We stand in solidarity that are here. And what that led to was actually to him, the famous scene in Selma where he is ministering, caring for, praying for, helping heal the folks that are in that prison. Fasting, directly tied to what happened with the turning of apartheid in South Africa. Churches praying and fasting were a central component to what happened there. Even if you read about prayer and fasting and the fall of communism that was happening in that moment, it is fascinating to read where the engine of the justice movement was happening out of the church again and again and again. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight writes this, hear this, favorite quote of the day. This food joins humans, food joins humans to other humans because we share meals together. Whenever we give up food intentionally, we refrain from relationships. When a group protests by fasting, they both negate one relationship with the haves and they affirm another relationship with the have-nots. And since the structures of power always have sufficient food, fasting is not only refusing relationship, but it's also protesting the power structures that exist. Fasting is a way for the well-fed to voluntarily align with the hungry, just like Jesus did. But at a spiritual level, it's not just to stand against the systems and structures and evil, but against what the New Testament calls the principalities and powers behind them. And so to fight this evil, this is where we turn both to prayer and to almsgiving. As St. Gregory said, um, it is impossible to engage in spiritual conflict without the previous subjugation of the appetite. Look back through history, for those of you who haven't done this. Some of the greatest movements, liberation movements that have happened in our world, fasting is a central piece of it. The fast that Isaiah in Isaiah 58 has in mind is one where we stand in solidarity with the hungry, where we share our resources, and where we stand against injustice. This type of fasting will have an effect, not just on the poor, but on you and me and the church as a whole. Remember Jesus' vision of what a church is meant to be. We're supposed to be a new kind of family. This is what it is to journey in the withward direction. A healthy family, in a healthy family where there are people who have food and people who don't, like um, a healthy family provides, or a healthy family shares their resources and in shelter. In a healthy church, there's no way that anyone would ever go without food or shelter or access to the basic necessities of life, right? This is why we read that giving liturgy, right? I hope that hasn't become so dead and wrote to you. I get that it could. But that there is no needy person among us is us claiming or holding our responsibility, hearing again the invitation from the scripture. We read in Acts that the power of the resurrection was so mightily at work in the early church that what? 
There's healings everywhere. I mean, there were, but no, that's not what's said. The power of the resurrection was so mightily at work that what? There were no needy. Show me the power of God. Show me everybody fed. Show me everybody here taken care of, which then becomes a witness to our larger church. And when our church begins to be filled with a lot more haves, we continue or we look to turn our attention outward to care and love and serve those that are hurting. Lastly, I'm gonna end here. The 32 times that fasting is mentioned in the Bible, there seem to be three major like things that are happening real quick. The first and the most often trigger is when people are turning away from their sin, they respond with their bodies by grieving. Right? They're just, they, 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 they are being convicted by some sin and they begin to fast, realizing they want to mourn what God is doing, like celebrate God, mourn the death of their sin and begin to embody this dying to the old person. And fasting seems to be a trigger there. The second big one, and is, uh, this happens like the most often, is fasting in response to a change in spiritual direction. Something big happens throughout scripture. Something happens to Moses and Elijah and Jesus. They both had a moment of engaging with God and then they move toward fasting. We should fast when God is sending our lives in a new direction. Stop, interrupt eating and begin to listen and pray. But the third trigger for fasting that we see in the Bible, fasting when we don't know how to respond to something that is tragic or frightening or unjust. Do you wanna know what some of the church is doing right now in Gaza? Fasting. They're fasting. These are folks who have an option, the few Christians that are there who still have some food are choosing to go without, not just for the others, but as it talks about in the scriptures, aligning themselves with their own tragedy and pain. Sometimes, this is gonna be the most obvious thing I say all morning, this absolutely broken, jacked up world can throw things at us and we just don't know how to process it. Famine and war and cruelty and injustice are literally everywhere. It can overwhelm some of us. It can leave us hopeless. And in the scriptures, those moments are a trigger to go fast, to go to God and lament. I think of Joel crying out, saying, I'm gonna call a fast of everyone together. Esther, fasting is a perfect illustration of this. She calls the people together to fast when facing down something huge, they gather the community together, united in prayer and and purpose. Fasting and all those examples are about hearing God and being aligned with his heart. Again, that's why fasting without prayer is foolish. Fasting becomes a way to enhance our prayer life and it's why fasting without mercy and justice and generosity and outward movement is foolish. I want to be honest with you. I've never used this as a part of my fasting. Hope that doesn't make you sad as like your pastor. But this has been a convicting thing. This is usually not a part of my fast. And we know this because in the same way, prayer is about us communicating with God throughout the scriptures. We know that God is in some way with the poor. Both fasting and prayer, fasting and service. Two wings that allow us to move closer and align our heart with God. Fasting helps us become more aligned with the things that matter most. So to close, can you imagine 
What would happen if our church continued to grow in fasting? Our hope is not that fasting is just a first seek thing, but that every Tuesday it becomes marked out or maybe we may move the day to other days. This becomes a day that we carve out to turn our attention together in prayer, that more and more people do this, to consecrate our literal flesh over to God and say, not my will, but your will be done. Can you imagine the effect that will have on our church? Friends, since we've been doing this, I kind of did a little like reconnaissance this last week to check in on people that I know have had powerful moments during first seek. Like you have just seen within our leadership team, within my family, within many of you who are here in the room today I'm looking at, who've just said, moving this practice of fasting into irregular rhythms of my life have only helped me move in the direction of the kingdom of God and become somebody of love who looks more like Jesus. And so our hope in actually formally adding this to our way of life, our path, is not just that you practice this a few times and then move on, but integrate it into your way of life, into your overall lifestyle, just like pretty much every follower of Jesus has done until recent history. That we would be people who eat modestly, live simply, fast for the poor and hurting, and that people who who feast. To go back to the uh, emo music analogy here, right? Feasting. Fasting is about aligning our heart when things are broken or we're crying out to God for something or we wanna hear the signal through the noise more or we wanna grow in our intimacy with God. That's fasting and it's good. Feasting, can you imagine what feasting is? There's always been a symmetrical relationship between these two in the church. Feasting is about what? When, when just things are awesome, right? That's why the feast was always on Sabbath because we stop and remember no matter how broken or messed up the world is, he is in control and God rested, we can rest. And it's why feasting comes with birthdays and why feasting comes with celebrating. We wanna get better at feasting and partying and we wanna get better at fasting because we wanna get better at not being Buddhist but being Christians. I mean that with all like like, grace and all mercy and all love. Buddhism or the sort of some of the new age way of thinking it's about detaching ourselves from the body, just brains on sticks. But the way of Jesus is about entering into the mess and entering into the hurt and not avoiding it, but embodying it, recognizing that God wants to move our hearts and minds towards the things that matter most, his heart. So I wanna end this teaching with just a simple invitation to practice, something different than a little normal we normally do. That card that you got either last week or this week about fasting are a base and a stretch practice the base practice, an invitation to fast from lunch on Tuesdays and join us in prayer with that prayer guide. A stretch practice is taking 24 hours during first seek once a week, fasting from dinner the night before and breaking that fast on Tuesday night or another day that makes sense for you, fasting for one full day until sundown and then giving, today I wanna kind of add a dimension to that is give that money that you would have spent away. Pick a day, eat a simple meal even as you break your fast and focus your heart on this, di- and this aspect and this dimension of fasting, standing with the poor and the hungry. So as you feel hungry this Tuesday, think about the billions of people who feel that way every day and begin to pray for them and ask God to move your heart 
towards them. This last week, I just decided to stop traffic. Came up to somebody who was asking for money at one of the many intersections in Providence and just decided to stop traffic. So I got out of my car, closed the door, put the hazards on, and just sat with them for a minute. Not recommending this. And I just wanted to disrupt in hopes that maybe there was somebody else who needed to be disrupted and slowed down. So there's a lot of honking horns, a lot of what are you doing? But then as people began to go past me, it was fascinating how many people's, their demeanors just changed. Oh, oh, they're, they're, they're caring for somebody. Now, to be clear, I did this literally intentionally to share this in my sermon. I just want to be full disclosure. But here was why. Just like Jeremiah doing a little guerrilla theater. I needed this for me. To slow down and interrupt the pace. To interrupt that's what fasting is doing. Interrupt our bodies to turn our attention towards what matters most. So look at the base and the stretch practice. I want to invite you to fast. Turn your attention. Maybe as a family, adopt the rice and beans night this week. And then lastly, an exciting announcement. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven as a wedding feast where all are invited to eat at the table together as brothers and sisters. And so I've been talking to a couple of the chefs in our church. We don't have a date for this yet, but we are going to put a team together and we have all the initial infrastructure to do this. And what we want to do is gather people because we have this full kitchen that we have access to here downstairs for a meal. We don't know how often we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a first one. And we want to invite, go out and be able to invite folks that are feud insecure to this, go out and find the homeless. And like the great banquet feast in the scriptures, we're gonna invite the mayor. And we're gonna invite some of the elite that you are or you are connected to in our city. And we're gonna create a meal. We're gonna create a space for a number of reasons that we'll get into as we get closer to this. But if you're somebody who would love to help pray at that event, if you're someone who would love to help cook to be on the sous chef team, as Chef Edison puts this together, to actually prepare a meal where family style, we load in as many folks as we can. We think we can get about 100 folks downstairs. And to put something that we're just gonna call banquet, at least for now, because I haven't thought about a more clever name yet. That banquet that is talked about in the scriptures, hosting a meal for the most food insecure, for the poor in our city, and inviting also those that have creating a space where people can go be prayed for, can get cars. This is not meant to be enough, some massive fix to homelessness in our city. What it is meant to do is to create an environment where we believe God might move in unexpected ways. And just like fasting, to simply embody with our bodies and mouths and eyes and ears the things of scripture, not just let it live in our head. So I believe the banquet is on the screen here. Maybe. We'll talk after, all right? We'll talk after, okay? Got you. I got you. All right. It'll be, it's just the QR code that's on your high card there. If you want to scan that, we would love to have you sign up for this and to join us as we put a team together that's going to help make this happen. So, would you stand with me?
Holy Spirit. As we go about our week, as we desire, Lord, to be the family, the jacked up, messed up, hypocritical, funny, awkward family that we are. Lord, would you help us to see each other and to see those outside of our church? Would you give us, Lord, the courage of our convictions to come into alignment, Lord, with you? I pray on that Tuesday where most of us will lean in and fast together and pray together. Lord, we're just asking, Lord, would you speak? Would you help us to see and move towards your heart? Lord, we pray for this banquet, this, this um, idea that's been kicking around our church for a while that now just has some legs. Oh, what do you wanna do with it? We offer it to you. I think of the needs fund as we begin to close out our future builders offering or the thousands of dollars, Lord, that we just have to be able to, to give towards those that are hurting. Lord, would you help us know how to point those resources? And would this, Lord, move us deeper into a place of simplicity? Again, Lord, that we would be known, Lord, of by our love, that we would be this voice of hope and peace for our city, for our friends, for our neighborhoods. Break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. One last thing. So invitation one, the base and stretch practice of fasting. Invitation two, sign up to help us build this banquet team. And then a third invitation I should have mentioned that just came up as I was praying was, um, if you'd like to help us kind of finish that future builders offering, close the gap there. We have another like 10 grand or so to raise. I wanna invite you to do that because a good chunk of that money goes right to our needs fund, goes to making sure just this past week, being able to provide for somebody who had a big financial need um, in our church, both inside and outside our community. Just wanna invite you to give to that. There's actually a table right when you walk out. So we're gonna end here. I'm not gonna end with a song or some extended time of prayer today. Prayer ministers will be here if you'd like to come forward and receive prayer. We're gonna keep the space just like this, but we're gonna end our time um, with this, hopefully like some conviction and some joy and some hope rattling around in our hearts. So if you'd like to be prayed for, come forward. If not, um, grace and peace be with you.